The 2019 State of the Software Supply Chain Report was released on June 25th. The report is an analysis of the answers from over 5,500 participants, allowing data researchers the ability to extrapolate what the most productive enterprises are doing when it comes to managing the software supply chain and how that compares to less efficient development practices. The purpose of the analysis was to objectively examine and empirically document release patterns and hygiene practices across 36,000 open source project teams and 3.7 million open source releases. In this conversation, I speak with Derek Weeks, project lead for the report, and Stephen McGill, who along with Gene Kim, acted as research partners on the project. If you've been looking for verified research that can be used to help justify a DevOps initiative, or to validate the value of DevOps projects within your company, you'll want to stay with us. This is the DevSecOps Podcast with your host, Mark Miller. The DevSecOps Podcast is supported by OWASP, organizers of the Global AppSec DC Conference on September 9th through the 13th. And with support from the Sonatype Nexus platform, allowing companies to automatically monitor and remediate open source risk. First of all, Derek, I'll start with you. What's the history of this report? I know it's been going on for a while. For years now, with the State of the Software Supply Chain Report, we've been reporting on various things about open source components being used in software development. What, what we've seen over the years is a dramatic increase, really an exponential increase in the consumption of components. Um, within the Java community, for instance, uh, we saw the download request volumes increase from 87 billion uh, download requests to 146 billion download requests uh, annually. Uh, we look at the JavaScript community and we see JavaScript component downloads going from something like 3 billion downloads a week to almost 11 billion downloads a week for the, the JavaScript components or packages there. So there's this huge consumption volume out there. There's also a dramatic increase in the supply of these components. So when we looked over the year and a half of the study period we had for this particular report, we found since the beginning of 2018, until today, on average, every single day, there are over 20,000 new open source components being released into the market. When, when we looked at kind of the average, what does this mean for the average enterprise? The average enterprise just in Java components alone was sourcing over 300,000 uh, open source components annually. That means they're bringing software into their companies that they didn't write themselves, that are helping them accelerate their, their DevOps practices. You know, as part of this, so while all of this effort is making software development more efficient and it's increasing the velocity of software, we wanted to better understand, is that velocity also relating to building better quality into the uh, applications that people are building. So this is really where we partnered with Gene Kim at IT Revolution and Stephen McGill uh, at Galois and our data services team here at Sonatype 
and our, our data research team to really dive into this question of looking at open source projects. Which were the best open source projects? And you know, what were the best enterprise behaviors? And this is really important because when, when you think about all of these components being used in development, it almost equates to a manufacturing type analogy that software development is becoming more like manufacturing. It's the assembly of parts. And if you're going to use these parts, are you using the best parts? And are you using the best parts from the best suppliers? And we wanted to figure out if there was a way to really categorize that um, in, in a way and quantify it in a way um, with academic rigor behind it. And that's really what Gene and Steven, people like Bruce Mayhew and, and Ghazi on our, uh, on our data team really spent months trying to better understand and, and collect data on these open source projects that we had available or that we went to public sources for to do the analysis. So I'm, you know, I'm excited for Steven to be able to share some of what they found out within their analysis of these open source projects and also to discuss what we found out about the enterprise. Is there anything in particular you did this year that you didn't do in previous years? One of the big differences this year is that while Sonotype has run with or championed the report for the last five years, this year we had the pleasure of partnering with Gene Kim at IT Revolution and Stephen McGill at Galois to provide a lot more rigor and in-depth research into the report that we do about open source components being used in software development on a global basis. What's new about the report is that in-depth analysis that I think we have a lot better data. Uh, we've been able to review a lot more open source components and projects and a lot more enterprises. We have a lot better feel for the developers and how they're using the, uh, the content itself. What's not new about the report per se is that we do cover a lot of information about the billions of downloads of open source components, the huge supply of open source components that, that are being consumed out there. We also touch on some of the highlights of breaches, vulnerabilities, uh, malicious code injection, and some of the government influence and policy that's been uh, been cropping up over the years. So those themes that we've used in the past years uh, are the same this year, but I'm really excited to talk about and share some of the new data that we've had from the report this year. Stephen, when you and Gene initially looked at the data from the survey, what did you set out to discover? What What kind of hypothesis did you start with? We really set out to find and characterize dimensions of excellence among open source teams and see what are what are the commonalities among those projects that achieve that level of excellence, what behaviors are associated with that, what sort of organizational principles are associated with that. And to investigate that, we brought a lot of data together, data uh, that Sonotype has, data from uh, GitHub about uh, project management and contribution activities, uh, and data from libraries.io on popularity and dependencies and release dates, and combined all of that to get a sense of the dimensions of these projects when it comes to uh, security, update cadence, um, how quickly code is committed, how the development teams are organized. And we had a few hypotheses here. So we basically, we found some expected things and some unexpected. There were uh, expected outcomes like 
projects that release more frequently tend to be more popular. Those two are correlated. And so when you look at, um, in the report, we characterize this group of exemplar projects that are uh, releasing frequently, they're keeping their dependencies up to date, and those are also, as a whole, more popular than the general population. Were there any surprises you ran across? We found some things that we sort of expected to find, but it was cool to see them come out so clearly in the data. So one is we looked at update performance as compared to security relevant update performance. So when you look at projects and you look at their dependencies and you think about vulnerabilities that are released against those dependencies, that's a major source of security problems for software in general. An important aspect of project security is keeping those dependencies up to date so that you're protected against those vulnerabilities that you're essentially inheriting from your software supply chain. We looked at whether uh, the approach to updating non-security relevant dependencies uh, is different from the approach to to uh, updating security relevant dependencies and basically looking to see you know are there are there projects that manage to effectively just focus on security relevant updates you know they maybe don't stay up to date in general but they are paying attention to security and so when a security relevant update comes out um, they apply it quickly there certainly are those projects in the population but it was a relatively small share and so you know, what we found generally in terms of a trend in the in the data set was that those two metrics tend to track each other. So if you're staying up to date with security relevant updates, you tend to just be staying up to date with updates in general. It was cool to see that expected correlation really come out so clearly in the data. What did you expect to find that eventually didn't turn out to be true? We expected that projects with fewer dependencies would be more able to stay up to date uh, with them, right? So you don't have many dependencies in your supply chain. Um, so you can, you know, it's not too much effort to keep them all up to date, right? You would expect if you have 20 dependencies, um, that's, a, that's a bigger lift than if you have five. And surprisingly, we found that there was no correlation between number of dependencies and um, update uh, performance. So uh, there were basically as many uh, projects managing to update frequently with lots of dependencies as with few dependencies. And what's cool is we then dug into that a bit deeper to see, you know, are there any differences between those teams with lots of dependencies and few? And, and so there, one cool thing that came out was there's a trend between the size of the development team and the number of uh, dependencies. And so um, if you look at these projects with a larger supply chain, they're pulling in more dependencies, um, they're bringing in more code those projects tend to also have larger development teams. And we don't know which way the causality goes. You know, is it um, that you need more developers to support that larger code base, or is it every developer sort of brings their favorite library with them? Could go either way, and, and the research can't speak to, to sort of which direction that runs. But, uh, but there is definitely that correlation there, which we found very interesting and uh, seems to be a component in, in why, you know, they managed to, to have good performance even with a larger supply chain. Let me go back and let's kind of review one point in particular, and that's on when you looked at open source projects and the, the components that, that they're making, and you set off with this kind of uh, hypothesis that if an open source component had a vulnerability discovered in it, that these components would rush out and update the vulnerability in one of their dependencies. Uh, and, and you were looking for this pattern that, of course, 
if there's a security vulnerability, you're going to go in and remediate it. it you know, I, I think what you said was that when you started to look for that behavior across, you know, in the study we looked at 36,000 different open source projects, you didn't find that that behavior was something showing up frequently in the data. And, and because of that, you, you said, maybe there's another way to look at this. What, what if we just looked at updating dependencies in general? Are there organizations or, or development teams within these open source projects that just say, I'm going to update my uh, dependencies on a regular basis? Um, and, and then is there any correlation between that kind of behavior and remediation, right? That's right. Uh, because of the correlation between how projects deal with security relevant updates and how they deal with updates in general, and this trend that the projects that are doing really well with security updates and, and mitigating vulnerabilities tend to be those projects that are also just staying up to date in general with respect to all their dependencies. Uh, we then pivoted and moved to a general update performance as a primary indicator of project quality and uh, did a number of comparisons involving uh, performance on staying up to date in general as compared to other aspects of project organization and, and development approach. And that really let us bring in a lot more data because one interesting thing is that if you look generally at update performance, every project has some sort of quality score when it comes to update performance. Every project that has dependencies, you can measure how up to date they stay with respect to those dependencies. If you want to get a read on how they address security relevant dependency updates, well, you can only do that for projects that have had a vulnerability released against some component in their supply chain. And that's not every project falls into that category. So if you want to really take a broad look at projects across the board, it helps to have this metric that you know you can compute for all of these projects. And so that let us pull in a bunch of other data from GitHub about project performance development team size, uh, commit frequency, uh, and so forth, because uh, we knew that we would have this, this quality metric that we could apply to all of those projects. And then we could start diving into those other data attributes um, that we brought in. Yeah, I think one of the the really interesting things, and it's you know it's amazing when you can begin to visualize data, is this one chart that we have in the report that shows median time to update. There were organizations that w had a um, very high frequency of updates, so they were releasing new dependencies or new updates uh, w within the code base quite often, multiple times a year, multiple times a, a month uh, even. The more often that those projects were updating their dependencies, the correlation was the more often the vulnerabilities were being remediated. And it wasn't necessarily that they were remediating those vulnerabilities as a direct activity. They could have been, but it looked more consequential that if you update frequently, to new versions of dependencies, then you are consequently remediating those vulnerabilities as a result. And that chart just, you know, if I think over and over about the months that we've been doing this research and then being able to see that, uh, that activity and that correlation, um, that's probably the biggest one that stands out for me in terms of what, you know, the findings that, that we came up with, certainly on the analysis of the open source projects. 
Yeah, that's right. And uh, another interesting thing uh, to keep in mind about the advantages of staying up to date in general is it's not uncommon for a vulnerability to be released that applies only to older versions of a library. And so it's a, it's a vulnerability in code um, that's already out of date if you, if you were just thinking about what the latest version is. And so projects that uh, stay closer to the latest version are more likely to be protected in that sense, basically. You know, having a, a zero day MTTR, a zero day um, time to remediate that vulnerability because they were just never subject to it in the first place because they've already moved on to a fixed version. Yeah, the 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 percentage of open source projects that had vulnerabilities in them that were not frequent updaters was you know significantly higher um, than those that were updating on a on a regular basis. I think the other thing, and you know, we discussed this as, as we've been going through the research, but this kind of the correlation between uh, you know development teams that have a high release velocity, you know, the the folks that put together the the um, Dora State of DevOps uh, report uh, and have done that for years, uh, Gene Kim, uh, Nicole Forsgren, Jez Humble, you know, they've always shown year over year that um, development and release velocity have this highly predictive um, value toward good outcomes, good project outcomes. They release faster, um, their, their mean time to repair is faster, the number of breaking changes uh, is lower uh, within those, uh, those environments, They're, those businesses are more profitable, the team developers are happier, you know, et cetera. And I think that you know, some of this correlation certainly comes out within the open source projects that were studied because we, we see things like not only the correlation between the median time to update and the mean time to repair uh, within those open source projects, the 36,000 that were in the study, but you also saw, and we have this beautiful chart in the report that shows all of these different projects and we kind of categorize them in these d different clusters of the, the best projects with the best performance, those that emphasize delivering features first, not necessarily security updates, those that didn't adopt the latest versions of dependencies, et cetera. And, and when you looked at that chart and you saw them plotted all out, you see this reflection that the organizations that were releasing most frequently also had some of the highest popularity in terms of their download frequency within, uh, within the study. The best projects, the projects that release frequency had the best mean time to update were the most uh, popular, were sometimes, you know, certain characteristics were they uh, supported by an open source project or commercially, uh, how many developers did they have, et cetera. Um, but, but these exemplars ended up being, the, those that released a lot faster were more popular. Um, the, there is this um, uh, conclusion that we couldn't reach within the, the findings with, if you're becoming more popular, does that make you update more frequently because you get more developers, um, you're able to add new features, you're able to release them faster, and that's what makes you more popular or because you're is it the popularity that makes you release faster, or is it the faster releases that makes you more popular? I don't think we were able to draw conclusions on that. 
it was certainly interesting to see that the exemplars ended up being the more popular uh, projects. That's right, Derek. And yeah, this uh, in this year's study, we we weren't looking at uh, trying to determine which way that causation would go. We were just measuring correlations between these attributes. Uh, but it was really interesting to see that correlation between the update performance uh, of this exemplary group and a higher average popularity among that group as compared to the rest of the population. I think another thing that was interesting um, was failure of the inverse relationship to hold. So if you look at just the most popular projects and try and use popularity as your guide to selecting a high quality project where quality is determined uh, as this ability to stay up to date with dependencies and, and apply security relevant dependency updates, their popularity ends up not being a good predictor of that update performance. Um, if you, uh, you see plenty of examples of projects in the uh, low performance category and other non-exemplary categories that are highly popular, but, uh, but not performing well with respect to these, these quality metrics that we uh, took as, in the, as, a, as a goal in the report. What kind of a relationship did you see between what open source projects were doing and what was happening in the enterprise? Was there a difference? So, yeah, it was really interesting. Uh, when we started to look at what open source projects were doing and the behaviors that we were seeing within these open source projects, we had the data to show their, uh, their performance or their behavior but we wanted to get a better understanding for what were developers really doing? If we went out and asked developers in an enterprise, how are you managing your open source components and how are you managing your dependency updates? And is this kind of a common practice with the data that we saw about the performance of the open source projects be reflective of what was happening in the enterprise? So as part of this analysis, back in May of this year, I think it was early May, we went out and surveyed over 600 developers to get a, get a sense of what they were doing in terms of um, regularly scheduling updates of dependencies. Were they striving to use the latest versions of those dependencies? Did they have any kind of processes in place? Or even, you know, in some cases, automated tooling in place? to manage dependencies within, uh, within their environments. And then um, you know, just an overall sense of, is this an activity that they enjoy doing as part of their work? Or do they see it painful? Because it seems like you know, there's a lot of overhead with, if you're gonna use open source components, they each have six or seven dependencies. You, know, you might have 100 components overall in your application. Is it really a, an exercise that people go through to update these? I would say I was really surprised at the data that we got back within the survey. I, I really expected that while people understood, sure, it's a practice that we should have within, uh, within our development teams, I kind of expected to not see that much activity uh, or certainly regular activity in this. But, when we ask people about, you know, are you scheduling updating dependencies as part of your daily work? 38% of the people in, uh, in these organizations said that, that they were doing that. And again, this is across 600 people uh, that, that we surveyed. Were they striving to use the latest version of dependencies? 46% were saying, yes, we're striving to use the, the latest version. 
And then was there a process that they had within their own within their organizations to add a new dependency, evaluate it, get it approved? You know, is it a standardized version? And half of the respondents, 50% agreed or strongly agreed that they had a process uh, in place. So it was much more apparent that development teams were actively managing the components within the, their enterprise applications that they were building. And we also saw a good amount of people saying, we have automated tools in place. And specifically, we're going out to developers asking them this. And you know, 37% said, we have tools, uh, automated tools to track, manage, and or ensure the policy compliance of our dependencies. It was surprising to me that those results were so high. Stephen, what, what did you think when you saw the results coming in? I was really pleased to see the amount of focus on uh, staying up to date with dependencies. Um, I was also intrigued to see that it was uh, more common practice than I expected uh, that teams had to take extra effort to uh, remediate vulnerabilities, so effort beyond just updating a dependency. In next year's survey, we'd like to get more into sort of what uh, form those uh, remediations take. But you know, things that are in that space for me are things like going more than one dependency back in your tree and sort of pinning dependencies of dependencies to sort of newer versions, moving those up to adopt uh, security updates that maybe haven't made it upstream to users of that library yet, or maybe even you know software patches. Like how often how often does that happen that you compile your own version of a patched uh, a library because it hasn't been released yet, or move to uh, you know a nightly snapshot or something. You know those are all behaviors that allow a company or a development team to remediate a vulnerability, but you're sort of trading off technical debt for the ability to be secure at that point. And so you know if you can instead choose dependencies that are more likely to stay up to date and secure themselves uh, and release new versions when they need to when vulnerabilities come out. Uh, then you're able to remediate those vulnerabilities without incurring that technical debt. And so I think um, this sort of feeds into this topic of um, how should you use some of the guidance from this report, or what, what should you think about based on what we found when you're choosing dependencies to add to your project? You know, you're talking about how much technical debt is accrued by doing things kind of outside of just updating uh, dependencies. One of the interesting things that, that we ask in this survey was, you know, is updating dependencies painful or is updating vulnerable uh, component releases uh, painful? You know, there was this exemplar category that, you know, was updating dependencies regularly, had a process in place. They were applying automation to this. You know, we found out from the survey results, this group the exemplar group was 3.2 times less likely to consider updating painful. And when it came to vulnerability updates, they were 2.6 times less likely to consider it painful. You know, those remarks about, yes, I have to do it. I know this is part of just making good quality software. But if I keep, you know, if I have these processes to regularly stay up to date, then it does become less painful for me and my organization. And that's part of that, you know, going back to kind of the thing that they do in the state of DevOps report about how happy are the developers within these organizations that are in the DevOps practices. And you see a higher job satisfaction rate uh, in those respondents. This is also where we see 
yes, these regular update practices are actually having an impact on you know, developers being able to ha know that they're delivering better quality code at the, the end of the day, or maybe not know that they're delivering, but have the feeling that they're delivering better quality code because they have these kind of practices in place. Uh, Derek, in addition to the behaviors of developers and enterprises updating components on a regular basis, what other impact did you find in your research on the quality of applications being delivered through organizations managing their software supply chain? There was a difference, right? That's a really good question because even though you see this kind of update behavior um, of people using the, the latest or striving to use the latest components and dependencies, you know, what we really wanted to know was, does it actually impact the quality of the, the applications that are being developed? So we, as part of our research, we went and looked at, and, and studied over 86,000 applications. And we looked at the different components that were being used in, in these applications. And there happened to be open source components you know, used anywhere from the most current versions that were released in 2019, even to some versions of components that were released as far back as 2010. Over half of the components that we saw across these 86,000 applications were released in the last three years. So they were versions that were three years and younger uh, within those applications. Now, when we looked at the vulnerability rates, the defect rates within that component population, what we saw is the components that were over three years old, on average, 15.5% of those components were vulnerable. And yet, if we looked at components that were three years and younger, the average vulnerability rate in those was about 9.3%. In 2019, if you look at the vulnerability rates, those were those components that had been released in 2019 uh, had vulnerability rates under 5%. So this idea of using the latest versions of components decreases the vulnerability, vulnerability defect density rate by about 55% between the newer components and the older components. So it really does show that if organizations practice using the latest updates of their dependencies, using the latest versions of components that are available out there, that they can actually significantly reduce the percentage of vulnerable components that are in their infrastructures. I think it's not just about what we started with in the beginning of the research on looking at these open source projects and what were their behaviors and who are the best the best suppliers out there, if you will, within software supply chains, um, but also looking at um, what was the impact of enterprises, large enterprises using these components and the quality of the applications. If you couple your activities in the enterprise with looking for the best open source components and the best projects, not just the most popular ones, because popularity doesn't necessarily mean security, but if you look for the best or exemplar open source projects that are updating frequently, uh, remediating vulnerabilities quickly, adding new capabilities to uh, and features to those components, in addition with managing software supply chains, you can see a measurable impact on the performance of these, of the, the applications and the quality of them. 
Thank you both for your time. It's a, it's an incredible study when you can get something of this depth and this much research in it. I'm happy to be able to have you guys with us. Yeah, thank you for having me on here. It was great to talk about this and some of the cool things that we found in doing this report. And uh, thanks also to Sonatype and Gene Kim for uh, being my collaborators on this. Um, it was a really great project uh, and really fun to be a part of it. You know, I'm hoping that uh, we get some good feedback on this. And you know, if people can have ideas on on follow-on things to do, you know, please reach out and. Uh, and uh, let us know your hypotheses about what, what might be important and predictive and uh, when it comes to the software supply chain and quality of open source components. Derek, I guess that begs the question, where can I get this? Where can I get the report? You can download it at sonotype.com slash 2019 SSC for software supply chain. So again, sonotype.com slash 2019 SSC, uh, and you can download a copy of the report there. This is the DevSecOps podcast with your host, Mark Miller. The DevSecOps podcast is supported by OWASP, organizers of the Global AppSec DC conference on September 9th through the 13th, and with support from the Sonatype Nexus platform, allowing companies to automatically monitor and remediate open source risk.